Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio. I'm Valerie Bowling. We are delighted to share a presentation from the 2018 Mobile and Clinical Trials Conference featuring Merck, which presented on their Digital Health and AI Strategy Progress Report. The 2019 Mobile and Clinical Trials Conference takes place September 16th in Boston. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Okay, so here's a quick quick plug-in for our, uh, one of our um, manuscripts that we recently published. So the pilot one that we conducted, all the technologies we pub- recently published in clinical pharmacology and therapeutics. Um, I'm not going to go into detail with this particular uh, study here because, you know, it's, it's out there. I'll be focusing on the pilot two results today. Okay, so what did we do for pilot two? So for pilot two, for the smart dosing aspect, we actually used a technology called smart blister pack. So each one of the cavities in this blister pack has a sensor associated with that. So when you take the tablet out, it will accurately record the date and time at which the tablet was removed. Um, for the smart sampling aspect, we used um, we we used a bunch of things together. So you know, so the dried blood spot technology has been around for a, for some time. You know, we asked patient to take a, a, a finger stick, and then you know they would dab some of the blood on this paper, um, and then ship the samples or bring it back to the clinic whenever they are there. We wanted to also make sure that we understand exactly what date and time this particular sample was taken. So we printed a barcode on top of these DBS cards, and we created an app. Uh, We worked with a company to create an app that would scan this barcode and record the date and time, and they could go back in time and edit the time if needed. Um, One of the big questions we kept getting from everyone was that how can we be sure it's the same patient giving us the data? So we also tried DNA profiling. We gave them extra cards to dab some more blood so that we could do DNA profiling as needed. Um, And then um, we also looked at, you know, uh, relatively painless methods of getting the blood sample out because imagine, you know, we're asking patients to take blood at zero, four, eight hour, three finger sticks in a day. That's a lot of painful fingers. So can we change that? So that's why we tried this another technology as well. Okay, so I'll dive into the data. So smart dosing results. So what you see here is there are each one of these boxes here uh, represents 16 subjects. Um, On the x-axis, you see the study days. That was our technology arm. They were using the technology for the 14 days when they were in trial. Y-axis is the time. We really asked the patients to take the tablets between 6 and 10 a.m., And um, at a glance, you can see that every patient has a slightly different pattern. Some patients, like subject one, they were much, much more regular taking tablet exactly the same day every day. Uh, Some subjects, like 11 and maybe 8, they were, or or 12, they were like, you know, they had a slight variation. Uh, For the most part, 15 out of the 16 subjects took the dose as recommended. They at least took one dose each day. But then there was this... um, Subject 11. Um, when we saw the data, um, something didn't seem right. There were missed doses on multiple days. Two to three doses were removed from blister pack on some study days, and their dosing was out of the recommended range. We also had the e-diary data, the self-reported data from patients that didn't match the blister pack data. And, and that's when we, were, uh, we went back and saw that that day they took multiple tablets out, that was the day as they were walking into the clinical site to re- 
to return the package. Uh, so yeah, I guess we wouldn't have known that if we didn't have the smart blister pack technology. So this non-compliance subject highlights importance of this collecting this type of data. In terms of patient feedback, we got really positive feedback for both e-diary as well as smart packaging. We asked them, you know, would you recommend your family and friends to join a clinical trial uh, that uses smart blister pack? And the answer, the response was overwhelmingly positive. Okay, so I'll move to the smart sampling. So this is where we ask patients to collect their blood samples at home. Um, and this is the data that's come back. So what you see here on the graph is, uh, so this is the PK concentrations that you know we sent to the bioanalytical lab to measure the concentrations um, of drug in the, in the blood. And what you see on the y-axis is the concentration. And x-axis, we have divided into the at-home period and the in-clinic period. If you look at the geometric mean across, it's, it's, it's very uh, similar. So that was one of our findings that, you know, these citagliptin concentrations for, from samples collected at home and in-clinic were generally similar, which was great news because that talks about the feasibility of doing this in clinical trials. Um, well, when we looked at the e-diary data, we saw two subjects had missing e-diary entries, but we could see the drug in their PK samples. So what does that mean? Maybe one of the things could be patient burden. We were asking them to do two things. We were asking them to stick their finger, and then we were asking them to go to this app and scan it and, you know, record the date and time, self-reported. So maybe that was an extra step that sometimes it's very natural for patients to forget. So that... That means if we had technology that would do an automated date and time collection as they were doing the finger prick, that would be much, much more easier. We also saw that um, in some cases, we received the smart packaging data, but we didn't have um, any uh, detectable drug in the blood. So what could that mean? So uh, for that, we actually went back and looked at the DNA profilings. There were two subjects with this type of data. In one case, the DNA profile matched. So maybe because, maybe in this case, you know, the subject, they took the dose, uh, they took the pill out, but they did not ingest. So that can happen as well. Um, in another case, however, we actually found a mismatch between DNA profiling. In fact, even the genders were switched. Um, so uh, what we think is at home, what happened here was that um, the samples were collected by someone else. Um, so I guess, you know, what we can say here is that smart packaging is a great way, but it's it's there's it's still an imperfect indicator of adherence. Well, it's it's improved, but yet imperfect indicator of adherence. For the most part, it worked very well, um, and the DNA profiling can be used as a tool um, as a means of confirming patient ID uh, and sample disambiguation. In terms of patient feedback. Um, it, this was not, uh, so th we got a clear message from patients that we need to do better at reducing the pain from the number of finger sticks they get uh, when they use smart sampling. So that's something that talks about the need for more of these painless technologies that we need. Okay, so with that, I'll, uh, I'm on the last slide. Uh, in conclusion, we were, our results showed that these technologies, it's feasible to introduce these technologies into clinical trial. What we are doing is we are basically taking these technologies to next steps. We, we are actively seeking Merck programs where we can now, that we have shown that these technologies, this is how they work, let's introduce them into clinical trials. So that's happening. 
in terms of future directions, um, digital health strategy, we have uh, uh, Lisa Shipley is our new VP for digital and analytics technologies. So you'll probably hear more about um, about the strategy in, in the coming days, but smart trials will continue to be a large part of the strategy. With that, I'll hand it back to Kai to wrap it up. So we're also, um, as I said, keeping the patient in the center. So we are looking at those, you know, ready for prime time and then also those next generation. So as we look at different sensors, for instance, it's really about being the, having that empathy, sympathy for the patient and that understanding. So we saw a presentation, a patient testimonial the other day, and a woman with ALS, and she said, I'm willing to wear these devices, the straps that you put on your legs for the sensors for two years. She finally quit after a year because she said, one, this is true, actually, it happened two weeks ago, and some of you heard this. Two weeks ago, uh, sorry, she goes for, uh, one, is that the straps kept on ruining my pants. Second, they were this really ugly green, and I would have preferred pink. You know, and that you kind of laugh at it, but that was something that would have got her if you kind of had them look a little more fashionable. She would have used them a little bit longer. So we really got to understand that. I mean, I've decided to try a couple of the sensors that you stick onto yourself and then you take them off. And oh, Kelly Clarkson, uh, it just you know wrecks. And uh, so you know, if you're going to be asking a patient to put those all over their body, then you better be willing to try that a few times yourself. And so really, what we're looking also, and this is really important because maybe Merck is unique. In this, but we do find that the cultural change in our company, we have the people who are the evangelists who just get it, say this is the right thing, you know, we, it makes sense. We have the others who are on the fence who are saying, this is fantastic, we really believe in this, we really hope you do this just on somebody else's trial, right? And we have that. And then you have the people who just start saying, hey, if it's not broke, it's not broke, you know, let's not fix it because why should we change anything in clinical trials since the 90s? Right? This is working. People love paper. So um, we're also working with those. And so that is something that's really important. And if any of you have cracked that nut, please, uh, it would be great if you could share. But yeah, we're working on that and making great progress. And so that's... Any questions? Yeah, and, and Joe, you can hop up and, and ask a question. I, I had a... I mean, j just looking at the data. So when people say it's fine, I think what they're actually saying is we were better off not knowing that. Right? And, and part of that is, and you look at the, the dosing data, now suddenly you know this thing. Where, and this is, I, I've said this before, but I think part of the consternation we feel around the close observation that is enabled through digital is that it was easier to pretend that everyone took the med at nine, and therefore the PK samples were right, and it reflected some biology. And I think what we're discovering in all of this, which you guys discovered, is, oh man, reality is complicated. And we, we, our, our mathematical models, our models for trials, our models for understanding drug effect, aren't ready to incorporate that complexity. And so when people say it was better in the 90s, what they really mean is, well, at least on paper, we couldn't possibly have known who filled it out. Therefore, we pretended the patient filled it out. Right. And now we could possibly know we don't know what to do with that information, Joe. Hi. Uh, two, two questions. I, I think they're related, but they might have different answers. One, the finger stick foul play and the non-compliance with the, with the blister pack, was that the same patient? And if, it and if it was or wasn't, what did you learn about that patient such that he or she would sort of engage in that kind of behavior? And maybe the larger question is, what does that say about our industry such that we haven't kind of help patients appreciate the importance of doing this stuff rigorously and faithfully? Yeah. Well, Data-wise, they were not the same patient. So, uh, yeah, I know, I, I was hoping for that too. No, they were not the same patient. 
Um, but in terms of what we've learned, at least uh, going back to what Dan was mentioning about mathematical models, right? We need good data to put into our models so that we can learn better. So if we find such cases, one of the things to do is exclude them. So now we have power to understand, you know, what data to exclude, in effect, getting better understanding of the data. Um, I'm not a clinician or a behavioral scientist. So I'm not going to go into, you know, why they did it. But what we can do with the data, yeah, I think that's something we can be we are in a better position to think about now than we were before. Well, simply, simply put, I think there's, there's one message we can try and help the public to understand, which is I don't think anybody wants a good drug to look bad or a bad drug to look good. And we have to help patients as partners really appreciate that. Yeah. And if, they, if we did a good job doing that, they probably wouldn't engage in that kind of behavior or the other you know, boogeyman, which is they're going to slap something on the dog and have the dog run around. Like <laughs> no, that's... And we, no, and we did learn, sorry, last comment, just was yeah. that uh, we also did learn that when you had one finger stick, you know, patients would say, yeah, you know what, I like that for the most part, there was uh, overwhelmingly said, I'd much rather do this at home, it's fantastic. When you upped it to four finger pricks, you found that they said, I really don't like it or I'm going to give it to my husband to do instead. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, but they just really didn't like it very much because they said that's too much. Even with the one that was the suction one, you know, we had anecdotally someone say, yeah, you know, this is great, but, you know, I hate this little patch, the bruise that I get for a week, you know. And just it's hard because we don't think about the patient, you know, as maybe we haven't put ourselves in their shoes and we're just kind of, you know, looking at it and we go down. I mean, we even heard just saying thank you at a clinical site, just thank you for be taking part in it would make a huge difference. So, you know, and, and we also, as an industry, we think of, you know, we say patients failed on our medication. That's just crazy. You know, maybe our medication failed them. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from the 2018 Mobile and Clinical Trials Conference. The 2019 Mobile and Clinical Trials Conference takes place September 16th in Boston. For more information, visit theconferenceforum.org. And for getting to the end of this podcast, take advantage of a 10% discount with code MRADIO. Again, that's a 10% discount with code MRADIO, and the website is theconferenceforum.org. Thanks, everyone.